Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, as we do on uh, the speaking tours and traveling, we just want to sit down with as many amazing leaders as possible. So we're coming to you with more interviews and conversations from Washington, D.C. here, Muriel Bowser's Gulag, um, the mostly peaceful, somewhat fiery city. And uh, we're here for the first March for Life since the overturning of Roe versus Wade, um, which I've been telling you is significant. There's, uh, I don't know, there's something in the air. Um, and with this week supposed to have been the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, um, never coming uh, because Roe v. Wade was overturned on June 24th, 2022, which I feel like we need to have the March for Life be June 24th, 2022 now, uh, not, not January 22nd celebrating a decision that is now in the ash heap of history. Um, but we're going to be going uh, man on the street. We're going to be trying to find Baal worshipers and Moloch serviles and poking them in the eye, uh, causing trouble, making a public spectacle of the abortion industrial complex and their ridicule worthy ideas. But we also want to sit down with friends and leaders who are whose voices and ministries are more important now uh, than perhaps at any other time in the abortion wars because Roe v. Wade getting overturned, we need to understand, is not the end of the pro-life movement. It's, it's not really even a bump in the road for the pro-life movement. In a very real way, it's actually the beginning of the pro-life movement. And that just means that now we, we took back the self-governing legislative ability that we should have had in the first place to ban abortion at the state level. And of course, we're not stopping until there's a personhood recognition of every preborn child in all 50 states. But this is significant and important. And so we wanted to sit down once again with Melissa Odin, the founder and executive director of the Abortion Survivors Network. If you've been listening to this podcast before, you've heard Melissa's story. If you've uh, tuned into Love Life California conference, you've heard her story as well. Um, but there are a lot of babies who survive abortions and their stories are rarely, if ever, told because nobody knows where to put them. Uh, Pro-lifers sometimes like to use them because their story's powerful and they get large gifts at their pregnancy center. Um, or pro-choicers hate them and won't look them in the eye because they're not supposed to exist because they're escapees from the prison of secular progressivism. They were never supposed to escape and their very existence calls into question the entire foundational presuppositional premises that the entire abortion industry and their ideas are built upon. And so as I've said before, Melissa Odin is kind of the bane uh, of the pro-abortion movement. And so we want to have conversations about how to tell the stories that no one else will tell and how those stories almost cut through um, joint and marrow and soul and conscience to get to the status, the heart of the matter. Back to those things that we used to know in this quickly disintegrating republic. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. <laughs> Melissa, Ooh. welcome back to the show. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you back on. It's been a while. Um, I moved and then we had a baby and then the podcast kind of fell on by the wayside for a little bit there. But uh, we're close to you now. You're in Missouri. I have to say, I, I always have great senator envy. Um, I mean, Josh Hawley. I mean, come on. Uh, that's 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 the future of the GOP right there, along with Ron DeSantis, of course. Uh, but we're in Kansas now, which uh, shot down the value them both amendment. Um, which is interesting, huh? Because people think of Kansas and Missouri being neighbor states, kind of having a similar cultural and political climate, mm -hmm. which is, I think is accurate. So you would think, well, Missouri was, was, was the first state to ban abortion almost right. after the overturning of Roe. And then you get Kansas, it goes the other way. Uh, not what we expected. 
Yes and no. I so I worked on the value of them both amendment. And, you know, frankly, coming at it, I had known that the best thing for our nation could potentially be the worst case scenario for Kansas. Because, you know, Seth, we know the playbook that the other side, the abortion industry and lobby and the politicians that are, you know, being funded by them, we know what the playbook looks like, which right. is always fear-mongering, misinformation, lies, media doesn't follow it, leaves it unchecked, spreads the flames. Right. And so knowing that that's what the playbook looked like, I was suspecting that the battle was going to be incredibly hard and mm. likely we would not succeed. However, I think the part that was surprising for all of us on Value Than Both was the extent to which we lost the amendment. Mm. Now, for people who aren't aware, it was simply neutral language because what happened in Kansas was a ruling by an abortionist challenged laws saying that they could not um, be dismembering babies. Wow. So they challenged that. And in order for the Supreme Court of Kansas to uphold that, they had to make a move. So the move was, right, there. we found in the state constitution of Kansas a right to abortion. The only way then to save all the pro-life laws that had ever been passed over those decades was to change, amend the state constitution, which was what value them both was about. So neutral language, right. simply saying <laughs> legislators, if this amendment passed, the legislators could pass pro-life laws. Right. Let's be honest, ballot language isn't pretty. Yeah. It's terrible to look at. It's confusing. But you take the playbook of the abortion industry and they fueled all the misinformation and lies. Right. We were six weeks out, I think, after yeah. Roe versus Wade was overturned. It yeah. was the perfect storm for them to do what they do best, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And, there were a lot of lies. Oh, yeah. How do we is there enough time I, I to had, even talk I about the lies? I had Sam Brownback uh, on the podcast. What a homie, by the way. Awesome dude. Um, former governor of Kansas, mm -hmm. senator before that. Um, and now he's involved in sort of like religious freedom, right. international religious freedom group. But we talked about this as well. And, and he said the same thing. He was like, I think I think most people didn't understand right. actually what they were voting for. And then all the lies, mm -hmm. right, about how like, you know, if abortion's made illegal, uh, women can't get miscarriage treatments. Right. Right? Or if she has an ectopic pregnancy, she can't even have the baby removed. It's like, and, and so I think the sort of the moderates who wouldn't be like Nancy mm -hmm. Pelosi, like grandmother of abortion demons, but like they're not pro-life either. They're somewhere in between, um, were susceptible mm -hmm. to a lot of those lies. So it's just, it, I mean, we know, you know, it's like Elf, right? Like, you sit on the throne of lies. Like, but it's like, <laughs> we know that's true of the abortion industry, but to watch that play out in real time in what is supposed to be this conservative state right. was pretty shocking. And I hope is not a bellwether for, uh, for these attempts in future states. Well, but if you're paying attention also to the media in Kansas, they're not lying now when they say, oh, Planned Parenthood is brimming over. They're, they can't even serve, right? They're, they're over capacity. They can't even serve all of the women who are coming to them. And they're talking about the high numbers, of the increase in abortion, which is what we had been saying. Right. If this doesn't pass, here's what's going to happen. They're not hiding the truth anymore. Mm. And that should be what should give all of us pause and especially Christians to say, what have I done? Mm, yeah. I, I believe the lies and now we're in this position. And so then the question is now what? Yeah. What do we do? What yeah. do we do in each of our states so we don't become Kansas? Yeah. Because they know what the playbook is and they're putting it into action. Yeah, that's true. I, I had a I had a friend from college who's pro life who loves the work I do. He's not he didn't go like progressive wokey woke maybe maybe a little bit but not too much after college and uh, and even he texted me after Roe got overturned and he was hearing these things and he was like, uh, 
can women not get like you know, mis- like a miscarriage treatment or I was like, oh, good Lord, I have failed you as a friend. <laughs> like if, if you were susceptible to that. Right. Oh, my gosh. And so, I, I mean, it's just it's kind of just a small vignette to make the larger point that the the abortion industrial complex has been so effective mm-hmm. at sowing lies and reaping power. And they've been doing it for so long. And so we're up against, I think, what is, has accurately been described as the Leviathan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you've got tentacles coming up from every institution. Mm-hmm. And, and and so we like the pro-life movement's been hacking at tentacles and we're never able to get to the beast. Right. And and we sense that, I think, increasingly in the post-Roe mo- moment, yeah. right, where, where pro-life sidewalk counselors are getting arrested and uh, pro-life pregnancy centers or other pro-life ministries are getting burnt to the ground or, mm-hmm. right, or sp- having words spray painted on their clinics. If abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. And, and we, we go like, how did we get here? Um, and so I, I think we are in a very late hour of the American culture war, but the sacrament and the centerpiece and the linchpin of that culture war has always been abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why Peter Kraft, the Catholic philosopher, who I quote endlessly, says abortion is the demonic parody of the Eucharist. Right. That's why it uses the same holy words. This is my body, but with the opposite blasphemous meaning. And so this is why I speak in churches so much to say, wake up. Do you not see that we're not contending against an alternative politics? We're contending against an alternative religion. But as I throw the ball back to you, Melissa, the reason why I wanted to set it up that way was to say this. Um, I know that it's an alternative religion, humanism. Humanism took more lives in the 20th century than in all of human history before the 20th century combined. Yeah, that's eugenics, that's neo-Malthusianism, that's overpopulationism, uh, that's humanism, that's Darwinism. These are deadly, deadly religions and ideologies. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I told your friend Sarah this on, on the podcast recently. I, I have no, I have no where in my mind or experience or life to place, to place the emotions and experience and feeling of of surviving forceps or poison that were paid for by your parents um, and then living in a country and in an administration um, that daily celebrates and champions the act that nearly took your life Mm -hmm. that, that, and that, and that forces you actually, depending on your state to, to fund the very act that took your life with your tax dollars and then to call you, according to Corrine Jean-Pierre, Biden's White House press secretary who replaced Circle Back Saki, <laughs> the, the greatest and most extreme threat to freedom and democracy. Mm. Or according to Biden, domestic terrorist with his USSR black, red, blood-stained backdrop where he smeared off the country's domestic terrorists. To, to, to live under that. So, like, it's just, an, it's just another, uh, it's another proof or evidence that this is an alternative religion mm-hmm. and a deadly one at that. And so, so given all of that, uh, I haven't had you tell your story on the podcast since 2019, January of 2019, 2019, 2021, 20, over three years ago. So I wanted you to tell your story because God's blessed this podcast to some small measure and a lot of people listen now. And, but so few people have actually heard the stories of abortion survivors. Mm-hmm. So let me just wind you up and let you go. What's sure. your story? Well, let me start by saying I I appreciate you so much, and you know this about me. There are people in this world who may not understand what it's like to live in these particular set of shoes, but God gave you a heart to see the experience of survivors and to be our voice and be our ally, and that doesn't go unnoticed by us. So I just want to say thank you for that. 
And what we live under is so much a version of its cultural gaslighting at right. its finest, right? Right, right? Many survivors go through gaslighting in their families, but for survivors, we live under gaslight on a, a consistent basis. Right. You don't exist, that didn't happen to you. If it did happen to you, I'm so sorry, but you're not relevant to this conversation. You need to sit down, shut up. I'm sorry you've gone through trauma, but you should not be speaking up. Right. So the fact that any survivor ever comes to a place to be healed and healthy and be equipped to share their story, honestly, up until a few years ago was just a blessing and a chance to wow. some extent. Jeez. And I'm one of them who has helped to create a space, I like to believe, for survivors to be healed and empowered right. and equipped. So, you know, my story 45 years ago, my birth mother, like so many women, unfortunately, was not given any real choice when it comes to abortion. You know, that word needs to go to the ash heap. Yeah. Because we know statistically most women are not given any choice when it comes to abortion. And my birth mother fits that. She was forced at the hands of her family to have a saline infusion abortion. My birth mother came from a very um, well-accomplished family. You would have been sitting next to them in church every Sunday. Mm. And I think this is a, a call to all of us in the church to look around us and say, who is it that needs to hear truth? Right. Because we cannot believe that other people are in the same place as we are considering what the culture has done to us and to our right. church. So my birth mother's family, you know, knew the science of when life begins, but they also knew how to make a secret forced abortion take place. Yikes. You know, I now know my birth parents were engaged to be married. I have no doubt they would have hmm. parented me. They would have been married, but that was not in the cards from my grandparents' standpoint. So when they found out that she was pregnant with me. And where was this? This was in Sioux City, Iowa. Okay. You know, Midwest born and raised. And again, this is a good reminder to people, it happens in every community. Right. It doesn't matter. So many people have tried to create their silo and say, not in, this doesn't happen in my family. This doesn't happen in my church. This doesn't happen in my town. It doesn't happen in my state. Mm. Here we are, folks. Yep. So that abortion that was forced upon her was the most common one back in the 70s. We have a lot of survivors who survived saline infusion abortions. If people go back and read through this uh, great, series in the Philadelphia Inquirer back in 1981, The Dreaded Complication of Abortion, you will read lots of stories of children like me who survived saline infusion abortions. And sadly, many of us were left for dead. Wow. So that procedure involved injecting a toxic salt solution into the amniotic fluid surrounding me in the womb. It should have poisoned and scalded me to death, usually lasted about 72 hours if the child was fortunate, right? Fortunate enough, their Jeez. life was ended within the first 24 hours. And then they would spend the rest of the time inducing labor. And of course, the intent was for a dead child to be expelled from the womb. We know through my medical records, my abortion took five days. They just kept trying to induce her labor. And, wow. you know, I'll, I'll call it. I'm stubborn. I don't praise God, right? But the longer I soaked in that toxic salt solution, the greater the likelihood should have been that the abortion was successful. They wow. started to believe my birth mother was going to lose her life. I mean, this is also what we don't talk about. Mm. Women's lives are endangered by abortion. No, I, I've been told, actually, I heard one time uh, that abortion is actually 14 times safer than childbirth. So follow the science. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> we'll talk about another episode about what, what's wrong with that study. I can, debunk, we, I can debunk we? the whole thing, but go, yeah, there's continue. a whole <laughs> lot of podcast content. Uh, on that fifth day, they induced her labor and they believed the abortion would be successful. And that day that I now celebrate as my birthday is the day that I was accidentally born alive. Yeah. And this is Jesus. where the beliefs on the part of the abortion industry and abortionists, I think, are so evident. There's a reason why they call us the dreaded complication of abortion. Mm. They weren't somehow looking upon my humanity that day and saying, yes, I mean, aren't we so grateful this child survived? Let's do everything we can to save her. Right. No, it was scramble and argue and my grandmother telling the other nurses to leave mm. me to die. That's right. And me being nearly dead and being rushed off to the NICU because at least one nurse was unwilling mm. to just leave me there to die. And this, this is, is what, still Sioux City. It was still Sioux City. Wow. And this is the part that was confusing for me growing up. And I think is is confusing to lay people outside of the movement. They're saying, but you were at a hospital. Hmm. Well, most late-term abortions take place at hospitals, not because they're thinking they're going to save our life, that it's going to be a live birth. Right. It's because it's the risk to women's health. And so that's where my birth mother needed to be. I am just lucky enough that it was a hospital. What if I would have survived at Planned Parenthood? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You would have been thrown in a bucket or, or, or chopped up to harvest your organs because, uh, you know, well, they probably would have been spoiled by the salt solution. So they would have just thrown you in the trash. But even at that hospital, we know that they had a utility closet where they would place the babies like me who survived. You were put in a bucket of formaldehyde. They'd write the name on it. Yeah. How do I know that? Because I've met the nurses who did it. Well, and if you were George Tiller, you, you would actually do a little baptism for the murdered babies. I was talking to a nurse just this or to another activist this morning who was saying uh, she was with some of the quitters from from Abby Johnson's ministry. And one of them was telling the story of how one time after they started an abortion, they ended up in the bathroom and they were panicking because they could see a baby had survived the abortion. Next thing you know, they could hear flushing and crying. I mean, let's, oh let's just be honest. Yep. Yep. So I was blessed to have survived at a hospital where yep. at least a nurse was yep. willing to rush me off to the NICU, putting her job on the line. Well, and uh, after you, finish your whole story because I want everyone to hear the whole thing who's listening right now. We'll talk about how um, every Democrat in the House of Representatives except one still wants to make it so that in that moment that you were accidentally born alive, there are no federal laws on the books that require your protection and criminalize those who won't protect you, but we'll get to that later. Mm -hmm. So, so, but, but just, I mean, I mean, guys, just think about what she just said. My, my birthday is, is the day that I was accidentally born alive. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, no child or person should have to say that about themselves. Um, it was Hadley Arcus who I, I want to get on the show one day before he dies. I don't believe he, do you know who Hadley Arcus mm -hmm. is? He's not a believer, but he's, I think he's a, he may be a, well, he's a theist, but he's not a, he's not a Christian, but uh, that guy is so grounded in the natural law tradition. Mm -hmm. His book, Natural Rights and the Right to Choose is something every pro-lifer should read once a year. But he, 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 he wisely observes that abortion is ultimately, Melissa, the right to a dead child. Mm -hmm. 
And that's part of, you know, I know we're going to get to Born Alive, but frankly, when we look at ballot initiatives like Montana, Kentucky, all of those, when we see those fail to pass, part of what has happened in the activism from the other side is the reality that this exists in the medical community. Right. That you could leave a child to die. And that's when people become so incensed about it, saying, well, if if we pass a ballot initiative saying we have to to save every abortion survivor and provide them medical care, then we would have to do that for all the babies. I pointed this out. Uh, I, I, it was interesting. I mean, I don't, I'm not, you know, not, I'm not like that big of a podcaster or speaker, but I, I did, I was uh, disappointed at how few people I heard making that point in 2019 mm-hmm. when Ben Sass of Nebraska originally sponsored the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. And that, that's the point I made on the podcast at the time was I said, the reason why they're afraid of this mm-hmm. is because they know that their own ideology will be called into question. Mm-hmm. Because if, if, if you're required to care for the life of the baby seconds after it's, it survives the abortion that was supposed to take its life, then who, who in their right mind could possibly argue that the woman has a legal right to take the life of that baby a day before the baby's due to be born, which then draws in the question: Who, who, who could possibly argue that that's a right to take the child's life one week before? And and, and then we get back to the whole question: You know, is there a fetus fairy? You know, <laughs> sprinkling magical personhood conferring fairy dust. And if there isn't, then there obviously is no magical line exactly. at which the human being in the womb, you know, transitions to some person that it wasn't before. And and so the the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act puts in place the premises that destroys the entire narrative mm-hmm. and that's why they hate it but but so anyways uh but you I, you survive yeah you're on the hospital table and a nurse becomes your advocate yeah what happened ultimately rushed off to the NICU and provided medical care and i think this this connects so well with what you're talking about my medical records state my abortionist thought my birth mom was about 18 to 20 weeks pregnant with me but also, again, if we're being honest and in living in today's world where we know chemical abortions are being pushed and right they're saying FDA, USPS, hey, you can ship those anywhere. We don't know what's going on. The reality is women are taking abortion pills not knowing how far along they are. Yeah. What we're finding is many of our survivors survived because the abortionists weren't providing adequate exams. They didn't know how far along a woman was. I mean, ultimately, it saves our lives. But... I think it's important people realize that because my medical record saying 18 to 20 weeks, by the time I end up in the NICU that day and I weigh almost three pounds, they started to put two and two together. And a neonatologist put in my records, a pro- looks like approximately 31 weeks gestation. Jeez. Whether I was 18 to 20 weeks or 31, where, where does the line sit of, oh gosh, that was not okay. Oh, but it would have been okay then. Yeah. Well, she wasn't a person at 18 to 20 weeks, but she was suddenly at 31. Yeah. I mean, it's the ability to feel pain. I mean, it's consciousness. <laughs> I mean, it's desires. I mean, it's blah, 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 right? mm-hmm. they, they, they always change the narrative because it, you know, it never makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so, so you're bolstering my same point. It calls into question the entire trimester framework. Exactly. The the entire arguments that are used to sort of delineate random lines. I mean, this is where I always get into arguments with pro boards. Where I say, I say, do you believe that it should be legal to kill a baby in the ninth month? And they go, of course not. And so I go, why not? And they go, well, that's obviously a baby. You can just deliver it. And they go, okay, so then, so then what about the eight month? It always goes that way and it never makes sense. 
And so it's pretty it's pretty wicked and demonic to consider that the, the Democrats don't want born alive abortion survivors protection legislation. Um, they would rather sacrifice infants than compromise the the abortion sacrament. Exactly. And, 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 and this makes of course, of course, this makes sense. Uh, because as Peter Singer once said, for goodness sake, the Princeton philosopher who wrote Practical Ethics in 92 and defends, is famous, infamous, is the correct word, for defending infanticide up to one years old. Mm-hmm. He, you know how sometimes, Melissa, the left says the quiet part out loud, and we're like, thank you, thank you for <laughs> saying what we all know about you demons, but what you rarely will acknowledge about yourselves. Mm-hmm. Peter Sayer said this once, Melissa, he said, he said, the liberal search for a morally crucial dividing line between the newborn baby and the fetus, a morally crucial dividing line, has failed to yield any event or stage of development Mm -hmm. that can bear the weight of separating those with a right to life from those who lack such a right. Thank you, you infanticidal apologist demon, for admitting what pro-lifers have always been saying about your worldview, that that if you can kill children through point of birth and and the, the personhood litmus test you use to dehumanize the unborn, there's no reason why that should be confined to the womb. And he's saying, yeah, us liberals have been searching for a morally crucial dividing line and we can't find it. Mm-hmm. They can bear the weight of separating those with a right to life in the womb from those who are the, 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 with a right to life outside the womb from those who lack such a right in the womb. And so you've got one of the most lauded pro-abortion f- philosopher defenders of the other side saying, yeah, pro-lifers are kind of right. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and this is what, you know, as much as they talk about this being a partisan issue and that, you know, that always strikes me as infuriating right when it comes to born alive they'll say well these republicans are making it a partisan issue recently in minnesota there was a a showdown between a a democrat representative and a republican and the republican was introducing legislation to protect survivors like me and the democrat came out and said something to the extent of this isn't this isn't a thing this doesn't happen it didn't happen yesterday it isn't happening today it won't happen to tomorrow Hmm. wow and that is the epitome of what they have done to abortion survivors. They have reduced us to being a partisan issue. This is not us making it a partisan issue. Yeah. This is what they are doing to us. Yeah, well, Melissa, sacrificing babies to accrue political power is nothing new. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it actually Centuries goes back old. to this guy named uh, Herod, um, who was trying to, uh, what was he trying to, oh yeah, he was trying to kill babies because one of them might threaten his political power. Mm-hmm. As it was then, so it is today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sure, it might have been the creator of the universe as the prenatal deity entering human history in a uterus, but it's the, the, still sacrificing babies right. to accrue political power. So anyways, there's nothing new under the sun. So, okay, so you're, you're saved. How long do you spend in the NICU after having to fight to get saline salt out of your system? Right, a couple of months. So, you know, I often Yikes, say... Two months. Yeah, almost three. So ended up being transferred to a larger hospital when I was about three weeks old. And wait, but what's the story about your grandmother and mother? Right. After the what she thought was an abortion. Right. So it's a long and sordid story. I'll try to close the loop because it's a lot. (laughs) Uh, It's been a lot to live. But uh, I now know that after I survived, I mean, my my birth mother was not in a good place physically, emotionally, mentally. And she did not know that I had survived the abortion. 
And I now know through connecting with some of the medical professionals, when this tall blonde nurse rushed me off to the NICU, my grandmother actually was right behind her and made it clear that those nurses were never to tell my birth mom that the baby had survived. And they didn't. Now, the good news is they never forgot about me. I know that they prayed over me while I was there, right? They marveled in just the miracle. And they never forgot me as their own children grew up. They'd say, gosh, I wondered whatever happened to that little and, girl. And you met them later, right? You found them later. I do. I have contact wow. with two of them. That's and amazing. so they knew and my birth mom didn't know. And I was ultimately placed for adoption. I went home to my mom and dad when I was um, just about three months old. So you were adopted immediately? Pretty quickly, Yeah. yeah. And not every survivor is is placed for adoption, though. We have found most survivors are actually raised in their biological family because That's the child was not intense. ever the problem. Yeah, right. Now, granted, it doesn't mean we have positive outcomes for those survivors because we need to do a better job even out in the pro-life movement and outside of the pro-life movement to say failed abortions happen. They don't just impact a surviving child. Mm -hmm. They impact the women who are raising them. They impact entire families. We need to educate and serve them so we aren't living with secrets and shame. Because the outcomes are poor when any of us keep secrets and shame. But I was placed for adoption and now I know that the signature on my adoption forms is not my birth mom's signature. Mm So there's, of course, layers of secrets that I may never get to. But I grew up knowing I was adopted. I grew up knowing I had been born prematurely, that I had had health issues. You know, I suffered from seizures for a while. Mm. They thought I had a fatal heart defect because I landed in the NICU with incredible distress. Gee, I wonder what that was about. (laughs) I suffered from severe respiratory problems, liver problems. And so I knew that. Jeez. But I never could have imagined that there was a big reason why all of those things had happened. And I grew up in a home that was full of faith, but we didn't talk a lot about abortion like many families do. We talked about the sanctity of life and the gift of adoption. But to find out my story at the age of 14 radically impacted my life. So tell us how that happened. My older sister was facing an unplanned pregnancy. My older sister is adopted as well. So there's two of us that are adoptees. And then my little brother is my parents' biological child. After 15 years of infertility, they had him. Um, Just, right? I mean, life always works itself out. (laughs) But uh, my sister was considering having an abortion. She was a high school student. And, you know, I'm sure was being fed all the lies of our society and culture that says, you can't do this. And... In the midst of deciding what she was going to do, our parents found that out. And so they told her my story, hoping that she would understand just how big of a decision she was facing. Right. To encourage it. Mm -hmm. And so not long after my sister found out my story, it was during a fight one night that. So she's, what did you say, 15? She was um, almost 18. Okay. But still in high school. And so in the midst of this argument, she screams at me, you know, at least my biological parents wanted me. Oh, my gosh. And I was thinking, what? And how old were you? I was 14. Oh, my gosh. 14 and um, pretty articulate. So I had some things I was going to say. I mean, I guess I'll just put it that way. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you bet. (laughs) (laughs) And went to turn around to say something back to her. And the look on her face just fell. And I thought, what is this? You could go in for the kill right now, right? This is an epic argument. And she wasn't going in for the kill. She was softening. And I couldn't understand what was going on. And everything shifted. And she said, you know, just wait up for mom and dad and ask them to tell you the truth. 
Jeez. And you'll see. And never once, I mean, that was 30 years ago. Never once looking back on that night did I think, oh, my mom's going to tell me that I survived an abortion. That doesn't, right? That doesn't exist in the playbook of the mind that that is even a situation. Right. And so later that night, I sat my mom down. I didn't know what I thought she was going to tell me. I thought I was going to get in trouble for fighting. Wow. But in the midst of telling me, she had to tell me, your, your mom, your biological mom had an abortion during her pregnancy with you and you survived it. And I can tell you where I was sitting. I can tell you the look on my mom's face. I can tell you how much I hated myself. Mm. Yeah, talk about that. I never wanted to be the person who survived a failed abortion. And again, that's what this is what this culture has done to us. We right. fought for our lives in the womb. We fight for our lives and after we're born alive. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You fight to be seen. You fight to be heard. You fight to be acknowledged. You fight to have a seat at the table. And that's why I do what I do. Because if I can reach babies who are surviving chemical abortions right now and reach their families to say, hey, guess what? This is a thing. You aren't alone. You don't have to be ashamed. Right. You are more than what this world says about you. Mm. Those are lies. Yeah. If someone would have been able to set that stage for me, I wouldn't have hated myself like that, Seth. Yes, mm. I would have had to still do the work inside of me to heal from the trauma that comes from being attacked in the womb right. and how that changes you. Right. But it could have been different for me. And so that's what it came from was this place of isolation and shame thinking, I have got to be the only person that this ever happened to. Right. And I know what the world out there says about abortion. And at the age of 14, I was a feminist, right? I was this little tiny feminist. And so I was thinking, yep. can I? Well, I probably can't. Right. Because every feminist I've ever known says that I have to fight for abortion. Wow. So you have this inner turmoil. And that's why it's so important that all of us do form this new new era in the pro-life movement to say, no, 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 survivor, you are not alone. You don't have to experience shame. Mom who has had a failed abortion, you are not alone. There is a place for you and you can have a voice. Your experience needs to be heard. And guess what? True feminism is pro-life, y'all. Right. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Well, the, yeah, the, all the early suffragettes, all the early feminists were pro-life. So, um, but that's what that's what liberalism and progressivism writ large does, Melissa. It's like a, it's like the the body snatchers film. Mm -hmm. They they enter institutions and just hollow them out from within, and then masquerade the cadaver that they just destroyed as a little puppet, <laughs> as if everything's still normal. Mm -hmm. That's what progressivism does. It enters institutions. Uh, ideologies, schools, churches, cultures, hollows it out from within and then lifts it up like a puppet and says, it, it's still the same, mm -hmm. but it's just rotten the entire uh, inside of it. Um, and so, yeah, real feminism ought to respect and defend all women, including preborn women. Exactly. But it becomes a very movement that's used to slaughter more women than any genocide ever has so yeah anyways well, you and i have talked about it a couple of different times you know isn't it such an abs absurd argument to say oh melissa and all of you women who have survived abortions as babies you have a right to abortion in our society right. however without first being born 
you don't have any right to exercise. I mean, could we kick one leg out from underneath the chair? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You're sitting on the floor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Well, the Hadley Arcus put it beautifully. He said, if if the right to abortion is a positive right, a legal right, um, then the abortion advocate cannot really complain if the state does not permit her an abortion for the same government that can grant rights can take them away. However, if abortion is a natural right, a right that springs from our nature as human beings, then the abortion advocate had that right from the moment she began to exist, the moment Mm -hmm. of conception. So we are left with an amusing paradox. (laughs) According to the logic of abortion advocates, unborn women do not have a right to life, but they do have a right to an abortion. Exactly. Which is ludicrous because how could human rights exist where the right to life doesn't? So anyways, you know, that's uh, Hadley Arcus and all his brilliance. But um, but here we are complaining and demanding like (laughs) consistency from the left. Like this is what I was just talking with Kirk Cameron about. It's like we need to stop moaning and whining about how the left is so hypocritical. You know, what do they say about the left? Well, if they didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have any standards at all. (laughs) It's like, yes, it's, it's, it's fine to get a kick out of that. We all know they're hypocrites. We all know that they don't have any standards. Um, Guess what? They know that, too. So stop complaining about it and being like, oh, I wonder, oh, the tolerant left, <laughs> tolerant left. It's like, we're going to be saying tolerant left as we're being put into gulags. Say, hey, where's your tolerance now? It's like, stop cracking jokes about how they're not tolerant. They know that. Mm-hmm. It's not hypocrisy. It's hierarchy. Um, and nowhere is that more evident than the issue of abortion. Mm-hmm. What's more hierarchical or tyrannical than deciding who gets to live and exactly. who gets to die? even up until after birth. So I'm sure you have many thoughts on that, but um, you go through many years of trying to figure out your voice in a culture of death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you go to college <laughs> and something strange or providential uh, you realize later mm. was going on while you were at that college. Tell, tell that part of the story. And You're such a we'll good We'll talk memory. about Abortion Survivors Network. Absolutely. Yeah, my story is a set of uh, miracles. And for people who don't have faith, you know, I guess they would look upon it and just say, right, some... Coinkadink. Yeah, yeah, there's a good word. (laughs) I now know that my freshman year of college, the university that I attended, my grandmother was the associate dean of the nursing college there. There's still a scholarship there in her honor. Freaking crazy. And I can tell you that when I was on that campus, I thought at I was homesick. At the nursing school, of all at places. the nursing school. Oh, jeez. And you know, How when inverted. I was when I was there, I was in that process of healing and starting to grapple with my story and trying to find my voice on a college campus that wasn't friendly to my voice. Right. And so that's what I thought it was: is homesickness. And ah, Melissa, you're just in this process. I never could have imagined she was there. And that's the college that my birth mother was attending when she became pregnant with me. She was a roommate with her twin sister at that college. And I had many family members who actually had gotten their uh, their degrees from wow. that college. Wow. Wild. So uh, to fast track, you you later uh, begin speaking. I think you were like on a university campus. You start yeah, finding your voice and then and then you've eventually found the Abortion Survivors Network, the only organization of its kind. Yeah. There's no other organization like that. Um, because and, we're so rare, Seth. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, and it, it, I mean, it's it's the it's the unspoken. It's always the unspoken kind of feature mm-hmm. of the entire abortion debate. Right. So that brings us to kind of our current moment that we're in right now. 
Um, Roe v. Wade got overturned on June 24th, 2022. The left lost their ever-loving minds. Um, it was like the, you just saw the inner like legion come out, like legion and we are many. It's like, yeah, you are definitely many. <laughs> and you're burning down pro-life pregnancy centers right. and you're arresting pro-life sidewalk counselors. And Elizabeth Warren is sponsoring legislation to go censor the voice of pro-life pregnancy centers for the dangerous spreaders of misinformation. Um, <laughs> you mean like misinformation when I go to Planned Parenthood's website and I try to search what a surgical abortion is? and aspiration abortion. You never tell me what's aspirated. You say it's pregnancy tissue. Um, there's no such thing as pregnancy tissue because pregnancy is not a thing, it's a condition. Conditions don't have tissue. Beings have tissue. So if you're a human being and you're pregnant, you're pregnant with another human being, so that's human tissue. Yeah, go go shove that misinformation up your, well, anyways. <laughs> Sitting Bull Elizabeth Warren, uh, we're not allowed to, to criticize, right? Um, hail the Indian warlord. So uh, all this going on with Roe v. Wade getting overturned. Um, incredibly provident, providential day. It's the it's the Nativity of Saint John the Baptist right. on June twenty fourth, where we celebrate Mary visiting her cousin Elizabeth. And you got the prenatal John the Baptist doing backflips in the uterus because he recognizes his prenatal deity, Savior, the second member of the Trinity, fully God and fully human, in the womb at that moment. But because that's the second member of the Trinity who makes life together in the womb, you've got the prenatal Jesus knitting the prenatal John the Baptist together in the womb while he knits himself together in the womb <laughs> while he knits himself together in the womb of a woman whose uterus he once knit together when he knit together Mary in the womb of Mary's mother. Incarnation. <laughs> As a Catholic, I'm right. sure you appreciate yes. my Protestant contribution I did. I mean, that to Catholicism. Was... That's that's the same day Roe v. Wade gets overturned. Are you right. freaking kidding me? It's been said that providence is when God winks. And boy, did he wink on June 24, 2022. Um, and, and so now here we are, the first month of 2023, the first March for Life since Roe v. Wade mm. got overturned. And we're in a very interesting moment. Um, the, the, the significance of this moment, I don't think, can be overcounted. I think in the culture war, we're, we're almost past the Rubicon line. Um, wh whether that's, you know, Biden can have secret files that he can declassify, which he's not allowed to as vice president at the time, and nobody's interested in that. But if Trump does it as president, when he has the right to declassify those documents, it's, 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 it's January 6th all over again. We all need to rent our garments. But I mean, they're, they're, they're really, I mean, they're coming for friend, our friends like A.J. Hurley. They're coming right. for people who expose par partial birth abortions in Washington, D.C. that they have no interest in, in showing they're arresting pro-life sidewalk counselors. Merrick Garland is labeling parents who speak at school board meetings domestic terrorists. Uh, the hour could not be later, friends. Um, but I've always been, I've always been convinced, Melissa, that that if we if we don't begin with abortion, any other momentary victory mm -hmm. in the culture wars will be fleeting. It, it won't bring back the kind of self government and freedom and liberty that we all want to return to that very few people alive today still remember. Right. I mean, there might be some 90-year-olds and 100-year-olds in, in, in America who, who remember the, the, the days pre-Sanger, um, but not many. You'd, you'd, be in your, you'd be over 100 already. I mean, we we're, we're all want to get back to that, but there is no return to that freedom. There, to quote Lincoln, there will not be a new birth, pun intended, of freedom if we don't deal with this, mm -hmm. the fact that we have slaughtered 65 million babies in America, right. at least since 1973, and, and the abortion industry actually has an opportunity with Roe v. Wade getting overturned to increase those abortions, believe it or not, yeah. because of the abortion pill. So w with everything happening, I want you to just speak to what your organization is doing in this kind of Kairos moment that we're in right now, um, what your organization exists to do and why it's such an important um, contribution to the fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So first of all, I want to say I was born on a feast day of St. John the Baptist, by the way, just to, to reconnect really? that wow. thread. Um, no way. So God winks a lot 
at me. And it's <laughs> fascinating because me of all people, and I want that to be an encouragement to people. If you feel like you are being called to speak up and you're thinking, really, me? Been there, mm. done that. Right. And God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Mm, yeah. And so it is up to us to say yes and then do our homework and get educated and be willing to go out and engage in the battle. Right. So I just want to start with that. But, you know, what we do is we are, again, like you said, the only organization around the world who serves abortion survivors. So we do healing support, skill development in, you know, public speaking, advocacy, you name it. Uh, we are also the ones who are serving moms like mine who experience failed abortions, who are struggling with how to bond with their child. They have fear that their child ever finds out. There's mm -hmm. guilt, there's mm -hmm. shame. And again, if we want to live in this society that wants to say, believe all women, hear all women, hi, right. first of all, would you be willing to hear me? And then hi, would right. you be willing to hear the voice of my biological mother? Right. Because she deserved better than that abortion. Right. So we serve those women. And I think it's really important that people understand this isn't just something that happened during Roe. Babies were surviving abortions before Roe versus Wade. Right. The bulk of the survivors, I mean, we had a 40% increase after Roe was overturned of the number of survivors reaching out to us. Mm. The bulk were wow. pre-Roe. Well, you and you have some survivors with you with you here on this DC trip yeah, um, that were survived failed abortions before 73. Exactly. Yeah. So every time somebody wants to shove a coat hanger in my face, I always like to say, hi, can I also remind you there was a baby on the other end of that? Right, right. And yep. people are like, oh, yep. what? So babies survived before Roe, we survived during Roe, and they're surviving after Roe. And that's where we come in. I mean, I have 50 years of cleanup work to do, reaching yeah. abortion survivors and families who have been impacted by failed abortions. Right. Then we have... Do we even have... We probably don't, we probably don't even have an ability to come up with rough numbers, huh? Of how no, many I mean, thanks, yeah. California, for not even reporting out the number of abortions Correct. you perform. Yeah. But I think it's really important people understand we're, we're redesigning our website. It's going to have lots of resources, lots of data. But the data that we've drilled down is based on the Canadian model of data and Australian model of data. Our research analysts found a 0.21 percentage failure rate for abortions. Doesn't mm. sound like a lot on face value until you start running through those numbers on an annual basis. And so what it looks like is in the last reporting period, that looked like about 1,734 failed abortions in the United States. Wow. The website will be built in such a way you could select your state and see how many there were in your state in that reporting hmm. period. Oh, wow. Now, realize that's also an underestimate wow. because we have states that don't report out the number of abortions performed. We also don't see in that the number of chemical abortions hmm. being conducted and the failure rates of those. Yeah. We don't see at-home attempts to abort included in that or kids who are six, who are surviving successful abortion pill reversal. So that number is probably double wow. the amount of survivors. Wow, that's wild. So we wanna reach those moms because that's also, again, when we talk about the power of culture and the lobby and even the gaps that we have in the pro-life movement, people don't see what I see, which is women coming to us or sidewalk advocates saying, hey, by the way, I just encountered a mom on the sidewalk. She took both abortion pills when she was seven and a half weeks. She's 24 weeks pregnant right now. Wow. When we talk about born alive legislation, do you think that baby who survived huh. two pills at seven and a half weeks would be saved or identified in born alive legislation? No. Wow. No. 
Yeah. We have a problem. Wow. I didn't, I actually, I didn't realize or I never thought about um, a, whether there even is a failure rate for the abortion pill. I, I know there can be if taken too late, but I, I actually have no, I have no, nothing to say or no research I've done in terms of if it's taken within the recommended time frame that's effective to kill children by the FDA. Um, I, I, I didn't even know that there was any degree of failure rate with, uh, well, with mifepristone. They keep changing the packaging. Wow. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, yeah. However, well, and right now it's taken through, it's recommended through 10 weeks, but what some people don't know is that a few years ago it was recommended through eight weeks. Right. And then they just randomly decided that the science, <laughs> capital S trademark over the E, has spoken. <laughs> and suddenly it's, it's safe actually through 10 weeks for women now. Right. It's ludicrous. And 10 weeks becomes the marker where they say, well, there's about an 84% of effectiveness rate at 10 weeks. Wow. And yes, we see babies who are surviving chemical abortion pills that are being taken later than 10 weeks. Thanks, FDA. Thanks, USPS. This is yeah. what you are doing to women and children. Yep. But we also, again, can't really, there's no answer for me when I have a woman who took both chemical abortion pills at seven and a half weeks, followed the directions, and baby is still alive. Wow. It's a miracle. Yep. Can't we just build a culture where we can look at that and say, that is a miracle. Can we come mm. alongside that child? When we, can we come along that mother yeah. and stop fighting against it and shaming us and silencing us? Well, you know the answer is no, Melissa. I know. <laughs> yeah, there's no meeting in the middle with people that want to slaughter children. They're not our friend. There is no middle ground. These people are evil incarnate. Um, and we've been apathetic towards this evil for so long. And that's why I'm, I'm doing a national tour right now in churches for the White Rose Resistance giving, it feels like a fire hosing of history, but it's actually not. Mm -hmm. I'm actually just doing a snippet of the history of humanism and the legacy of Sanger mm -hmm. and the Neo-Malthusians and the eugenicists, because this goes back a long ways. And they have been so faithful playing the long game mm -hmm. and being willing to plant seeds that will bear fruit they never see. But we are so addicted to immediate gratification in America and unfortunately in the conservative movement and in Christendom and evangelicalism, or Catholicism, okay, um, that uh, we, we, we no longer raise, we no longer do building budgets for cathedrals. Then that used to be the history of the church, right? Try selling that to your evangelical or your hip Catholic church. Go try selling a building budget for a cathedral, all the funds of which um, will build something that the donors never get to see. Right. That that used to be the kind of long game that Christians were willing to play. That's a financial sort of structural analogy, but the same thing is true with worldviews and ideologies. Um, we want immediate gratification, uh, and, and we want to see the fruits of our labor now. Um, interestingly enough, the left that seems to be more dogmatic and religious than most Christians for their religion, they're willing to plant the seeds the, for the fruit of which they'll never see. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, my great fear, uh, barring revival, uh, Melissa, is that um, this fight's going to be increased another 50 years. Uh, that that uh, my, my, my belief and hope is that I'll live to see abortion illegal and banned. But my great fear is that it'll get increased another 50 years because... We are so fat on liberty in America, we've mistaken it for libertinism and license. And, and we stand on the shoulders of giants and we think we're flying <laughs> and we forget that you actually have to do something to preserve these things. Um, but if we can't start with children and babies, then we've lost the brilliance of our own independence. 
Um, and that's why I'm so grateful for what you're doing and what the Abortion Survivors Network is doing, because I, I speak in churches and to pro-life people who love the Lord and the unborn who have never even heard the stories of babies who have survived abortion. So that brings us to our current moment. Right. Um, tell us about the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, why it's different than Bush's Born Alive <laughs> Infant Protection Act. You mean and, it is? And what the hell is going on <laughs> in Capitol Hill right now? Yeah, well, fascinating because the, the point you're making is what we hear in arguments all the time. Well, that Born Alive legislation isn't even needed. There was something in 2002. That's that was right. simply a definitions bill saying that babies who survive abortions are human beings. And that's it. Just like everybody yeah. else. I mean, thank you for that, President Bush, but <laughs> right. it didn't have any teeth no in teeth, it. No teeth, yep. No consequence. And so... Babies have survived abortions after that. There was a case out of Florida, Secloria Williams, where a baby survived an abortion. Baby was alive. They put it in a biohazard bag and threw it on the building, the roof, so the baby wouldn't be found. My gosh. Let's talk about Gosnell, right? Let's right. talk about the abortionist here in D.C. The list could go on San, and on. Santan right. San Santangelo. Santangelo. Yeah. I've protested outside of his clinic before for very good reason. And so these people are not outliers. Yeah. And as much as I am celebrating the Born Alive bill passing the House, you know, that's a victory when Pelosi isn't the speaker and we can finally pass through a bill. Yeah. Let's celebrate. But then right. we also have to be honest to say, so now what? So the, the bill goes before the Senate. We don't have the votes in the Senate. Yep. We've seen mm -hmm. this game before. So that's where it comes to us. Now, granted, it's a good educational opportunity to say this is why it's needed. Right. Because that's when correct. you pour through in state reports, Texas, Minnesota in particular, who have born alive reporting, yep. you can read in those reports those that those babies aren't provided medical care. Hmm. Where is the outcry for them? Right. So we're saving trees and animals and all these things, but when you report out that a baby survived an abortion and they aren't provided medical care, we turn the other cheek. Yeah. Something has to change. Right. And so that's where we're at in terms of our advocacy to really start educating members of Congress and other pro-life organizations to say, regardless of the gestation that a baby survives an abortion, we need to ensure that they are protected right. from a, another okay. abortion attempt and they are ensured mm -hmm. medical care. And that a woman who has a failed abortion is insured medical care and mental health support. Right. We have to back this truck up. This yeah. isn't all just late-term abortion. And that's how they try to paint this is, well, you crazy partisan Republicans pushing through yeah. this law that isn't even relevant. Well, here's what this actually looks like. Babies survive at every gestation. Right. We need to do something but about this. But they deny this. it. They actually say that this doesn't happen. This is just a Republican talking point right. used by the GOP to demonize the Democrat Party. Right. It's like the, 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 the gall it takes to say that. It's like, Gosnell, what do, you, what do you mean this doesn't happen? We have evidence of babies that were born alive during failed abortions, and we know they were alive because they had to have their spinal cords snipped as they were held by their heel upside down by Gosnell. The hell are you talking about? My friend A.J. Hurley had to unbox right. children, one of whom was still in the amniotic sac. Mm -hmm. the, the, how did that happen, huh? That child was still moving in. We have, we have testimonies of people who um, were on working for the abortion industry, some of whom that David Delighton has worked with, as whistleblowers who came out and said that I, we, I saw babies' hearts beating mm -hmm. through their skin as they were laying alive on the table. What do you mean babies don't survive abortions or are born alive? I mean, the, the gall it takes to say that. 
But again, it goes back to what we said earlier, how they're, they're willing to sacrifice infants and babies who are born because if you put in place the premises present in Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, it starts calling into question the entire system. Absolutely. What a slippery slope to to acknowledge our humanity. And yeah. that's the power of survivors. This is why they call us the dreaded complication, yeah. because we are a risk to mm. their foundation right. and their funds. Yeah. Tell us uh, one or two stories about what it's been like when you've been called to testify uh, on the Hill. You love these stories. Yeah, I do. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and others have too, but you've been more than once. And I think it's, well, here's why, I think it's an important contribution, once again, for people listening, because if you're a pastor listening to this, um, you know, if you're an elder, if you're a lay person, if you're involved in your church, if you're frustrated that your church doesn't speak out about the the cultural issues happening. By the way, if you're a pastor and no one in your church is talking about the fact that every Democrat in the House of Representatives, except one, just voted against a bill that says if a baby survives a botch-filled abortion, you have to give them the same level of medical attention and care as any other baby would be given under normal circumstances, born at the same gestational age. And if you don't care for the baby and transfer them to a hospital, they'll be criminalized. Uh, they'll be criminalized for the abortionist and anyone involved at the abortion clinic that didn't care for that baby. If your church isn't talking about the fact that basically every Democrat in the House of Representatives right. wants to murder infants already born, fourth trimester abortions, you need to find a new church. <laughs> but I th- but again, it's it's important because. Um, if we can open people's eyes to how evil these people are and what we're fighting, maybe the, the scales will finally be pulled back from their eyes. Mm-hmm. So, but, but it's, I, I feel like I've never been in the room, but like, I feel like the evil would just be tangible when you're there because these are, because you'll be called to, to testify, but then they'll also have the abortion supporters. Right. So you've got both people, the ones who wanted you dead, you've got the Democrat politicians and they refuse to look you in the eye. Yeah. Talk about that, because that's just so much proof of what we're dealing with. Well, and to put it in context, the particular feeling of of evil and spiritual warfare, having laid my hands on an abortion clinic that closed and knowing what happened behind those doors and the, the feeling that it has sent through me, I can tell you the feeling that I have felt at with my hand on that abortion clinic is the same feeling I feel when I'm in the room with members of Congress. Yeah. So I think that can explain a lot about what that really feels well, like. Well, because there are real demons behind mm-hmm. this. Like we don't talk enough about that. We don't talk enough about that in the pro-life movement in the church. Like there, there are demons uh, at work in these mm-hmm. abortions. Randy Alcorn is a, right. a friend and a, a hero. He once shared on my podcast that because you know he he basically gave up all of his book honorariums because he was sued by Planned Parenthood for sidewalk counseling. Uh, and, and a judge said that anything he made over minimum wage would be garnished, would be able to be garnished by Planned Parenthood. So instead, Eternal Perspective Ministries, run by Randy Alcorn, gives away 100% of his book profits. He'd be worth about $13 million right now. <laughs> and he's given it all away so that Planned Parenthood can't garnish any of his book wages. Right. But he, he once said that there's, a, there's this passage in scripture where it talks about how like demons are t- have a territorial nature. And he was saying, we felt that. We felt that when we were in the courtroom for my lawsuit, um, multiple women uh, cho- ch- changed their mind and chose to save their babies at two different abortion centers in Portland. And he said, it occurred to me in that moment, that passage in scripture, because that guy's just, Randy Alcorn's a student of the word of the Bible. And he goes, it occurred to me right then, oh, there are a limited number of demons. Mm. They're, they're not like in, you know, they're not uh, everywhere. There's not like infinity. There's a limited number. So he's like, we felt them in that courtroom. So maybe there were less available to be at the abortion center. And I went, oh my gosh. So it's just an important reminder that like what you're feeling in that courtroom 
Like that's actually demonic stuff. Like killing babies has been Satan's specialty for millennia. Anyways. Yeah. So it is, it's a very similar feeling of the oppression and the, <clears throat> when you finally step outside, you can take a deep breath. Right. And yeah, I mean, the stories that I could tell you about the Planned Parenthood supporters mocking us in the hallway and, wow. you know, the members of Congress who will say things like, you're not relevant to this conversation right. uh, or we, we can't change a law just because of you. Gosh. And, you know, hearing these heartbreaking stories of the trauma of abortion and having oh. the the people who are testifying on behalf of the abortion industry panicking at the table saying she time, time. Right, what happened to her? That is that is not legal. That was not legal. We are not talking about her. OK, again, shifting sand. So it is legal, but it wasn't legal. Yeah, yeah. So it was wrong because my birth mother was forced. It wasn't wrong because it's wrong, yeah, yeah. right? You see all of these things happening at the table, but yeah, there have been times, I mean, we love the Busy Phillips exchange at oh, a yeah. hearing. That's right, I forgot about when that. When uh, Representative Gomer was calling her out, essentially questioning her and saying, so I hear you talking about your abortion and women's rights. When, when did Melissa Oden's right to life begin? Oh, and wow, that's right. And he's starting to put pressure on her and she can't respond. And finally, Representative Gomer essentially says, you can't answer the question. I'm going to move on. After that hearing, talk about tension. And I, I am still as gracious as I can be. And she was trying to pass by me and I stuck up my hand to just, right? I was saying, hello, I wasn't being a jerk. I wasn't, I promise wow. you I wasn't being a jerk. And she could not even bring herself to look at me and turned. And that is not the Whoa. first time that that has ever happened. I've stuck my hand out at a, a Planned Parenthood lobbyist to introduce myself. Look at your hand and walk away. Whoa. Whoa. Jeez Louise. That, I mean, that, that exchange carries like, uh, carries worlds in it. I mean, that, those are things you can unpack there for days. But I think that it, it, once again, it kind of proves, doesn't it kind of prove the whole thing? Mm -hmm. Like, if you guys don't understand the significance of what she just said, that they know they're killing babies. These people know. It's a, this whole thing, like, oh, we don't know when human life begins. They tuck that away with the tooth fairy and Santa Claus. <laughs> the left and the abortion industry has always known, okay? Um, and, and their interactions with you mm -hmm. and abortion survivors, it gives away the whole game. Right. Right. Because why do they not like you? Why won't they look at you? Why won't they shake your hand? You're a human being. You're a person. Obviously you have opinions, right? Believe all women, believe all victims, right? unless you're an abortion survivor, of course. So those are apparently the only survivors of assault that we're not supposed to believe. It's a fascinating aspect of progressivism. Um, but it just doesn't give it all away because if they saw your humanity, and they respected you as an individual, of course they would shake their, your hand. Mm -hmm. I mean, pro-choicers will still, I was at UC Berkeley last year and like, it, it, they didn't throw tomatoes at me. I mean, they were <laughs> angry, but they, they still looked at me and acknowledged my human, humanity and they, they responded to my questions. But to look away and refuse to stare at someone and to not even shake their hand when they put it out to you, that's like another level of like dehumanization mm -hmm. and detachment Right, like monkey see no evil, like to just pretend they don't exist. That's hard to put into words. Mm -hmm. But of course they dehumanize you, ignore you, and detach you because they did it to you in the womb. Mm -hmm. So why would they not do it to you now? Exactly. And acknowledging the existence of abortion survivors 
implodes the entire narrative. I just think I just think that there's so much to talk about in the internet, and I just want you guys listening to realize like how evil these people are. They won't even recognize, respond to, and shake the hands of an abortion survivor because, damn it, you were not supposed to survive the healthcare that your mother paid a physician to perform on you. I mean, that is, that's fascinating. Evil, sobering, disgusting, all of those things. And that's why we are the bane of yeah. the abortion industry. <laughs> yeah, because go. we have the audacity to yeah, live. Yeah, 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 the audacity to live. Man, my birthday is the same day that I was accidentally born alive. Isn't, isn't that a phrase? Oh my gosh. Well, if you guys are listening to this and, uh, you know, you're a a donor or a supporter of me and the white rose resistance you should give to the abortion survivors network as well uh there's no other organization like them it's entirely unique and i always think that when you see what your enemy hates you should cause them to hate that thing more like when your enemy shows you the thing that they're the most afraid of that should be where you rush in and provide all of the reinforcements and support. So like the Abortion Survivors Network is deserving of your support, guys. You should book them as speakers. You should support them financially. If for no other reason than just because they're hated so much by the abortion industry. But um, uh, Melissa, um, any closing thoughts on just what we should do as common sense pro-life Americans? You know, what would you say to the the pastor who won't preach on abortion, you know, what would you say to the, uh, um, the, the mom and dad who are kind of disturbed with what's happening in America, but you know, they haven't really been engaged in the pro-life fight, everything happening right now. Um, what would you encourage, um, common sense Americans to do, um, to engage in, to think about, to respond to, how do you see the landscape post row and how has it changed and how should we live accordingly? What should mm. we begin doing? What are important things for pro-lifers, for, for pro-life students, for pro-life Christians, young people who are just concerned about the country? Um, how would you send us off or encourage us to I was in, I was at a meeting this morning with some other Christian leaders and the conversation that, that a couple of them had was so important in terms of talking to churches to say, if your pastor is... <laughs> preaching and the statements don't match up with biblical word, you need to find a new church. Right. Yep. And I think it starts there in terms of we have to, we have to drive a line in the sand to say, this is what I believe. And this is how much this means to me that right. I know this is truth. And I am not willing to sit in a position and be fed lies, whether it's right. from the pulpit, from the media, from my school, from my members of Congress, right? So we have to be willing to take a stand and be uncomfortable and move out of that place that maybe we've been for 20 years, right. but it's always been my church. <laughs> yeah. But you need to go to a place That's that is right. full of truth. So right. we have to be willing to seek the truth, make changes to be in the truth. And then as we do that, we find ourselves with the people who know the truth and we do the work together. Right. We are entering into this new phase in our country where we should be rebuilding a culture of life. Right. And we have to get out of the silos. We have yeah. to figure out where we have mutual missions, be willing to put pride aside, be willing to put aside how long we've been doing it. Right. 
and have fresh eyes to see what is happening right in front of us. This is not 1973 and we don't want it to be. Right. So let's act like it's a new year and a new time. Yeah. So that is my, not even an encouragement, this is my challenge to the pro-life movement is to do new things together. Yeah. And That's I think good. that what that means for all of us is our work is far from done. Yeah. And we have to be willing to accept that. Yeah or find the people who can help us yeah. make it happen. Well, I always tell people, you know, from when, when slavery was made illegal in 1864, 1865, it was a hundred years until the Civil Rights Act. I mean, whoa, that took a century to mm -hmm. weed out those ideas and to contend for the truth of human dignity. I mean, a hundred years from when slavery is banned to when blacks have actually full equality before the law. And so it's, we want to think that things can happen really quickly in these culture and political warfare. And again, I, th I think sometimes they can when revival happens. Mm -hmm. And it, it, when you study revivals, actually cultural change can actually happen pretty quick. And political change can happen quick when there's a revival and people mm -hmm. are uh, repenting and returning to the Lord. But barring revival, it doesn't usually happen very quickly. And so it's 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 a it's a reminder people don't like to hear because we <laughs> all want to think we can bring about the end of abortion in the next four or five years. But uh, sometimes it, it, it doesn't happen that way. And so you have to be as willing to contend mm -hmm. for the long game as, as the left has been. But Melissa, uh, where can people um, connect with you and the Abortion Survivors Network? I think you have a podcast, you have the ministry, what's the website, and then um, how can people support you? Yeah, my personal website is at melissaodenohden.com. Our ministry organization websites are at the Abortion Survivors Network. That's our handle on everything. Our website is abortionsurvivors.org. We also have additional websites that are connected to it, babiesurviveabortions.com, because that's the reality. Yeah. This is who abortion survivors are. And so the more we can share that message, you know, the easiest way for people to get involved, we they can volunteer remotely. We have so many needs. We should be in every church educating people about the sanctity of life in a way that nobody else can. Right. We are involved in advocacy. We're going to be launching our ambassador program later this year where people will be able to see on our website who is trained, healed and trained in their state to be involved in the culture war. Wow. So abortion survivors who want a seat at the table, we wanna be able to have them activated in their right. community. Cool. And that's also how we win the culture war yeah. is amplifying them and their message. That's right. So we'll need a lot of help helping survivors get connected in their state. So if people are involved in ministries and organizations right now, we wanna collaborate with you. Yeah. So that's a great way for people to touch base with us. And like you said, I mean, obviously we have to be funded to take on Goliath. Yeah. We are David versus Goliath and yeah. the enemy has thrown up enough strongholds to try to keep us shamed and silenced. Yeah. And so when people can come alongside us uh, to help us heal and empower and equip and take on the abortion industry and lobby, that's how we in particular fulfill our mission. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. That's powerful. Well, um, we're, we'll be working together in the future. We'll mm -hmm. figure out what that looks like. And uh, for anyone listening, uh, here's a fun uh, project to fund. Uh, why don't you fund a uh, speaking tour of Seth Gruber and Melissa Odin on university campuses? That would be a fun project to fund. And then uh, we'll get the whole video team. We'll capture all that. And boy, would that be some spicy 
viral friendly <laughs> content for the interwebs. Um, so uh, anyways, thanks you guys for tuning in today. Uh, abortionsurvivorsnetwork.com. Abortionsurvivors.org. Abortionsurvivorsnetwork.org.org. Um, connect with Melissa Odin. I think she's an ambassador. Uh, oh, she's a, a speaker with uh, the, what is it called? Ambassadors as well. Ambassador Speakers Bureau. Mm -hmm. You can book her for events there. Uh, go to their website, support them. We encourage you to do that. If you uh, enjoyed this episode, share this with a friend. Huh? Send this to Pro Choice Uncle Bob. Um, <laughs> have some good conversations at Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, share this widely. We appreciate it. I'm being censored in shadow band like I've never been before on social media. So please share this widely um, and help us get the word out. To um, help us reach more people, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Leave us a rating and review. It actually helps us reach more people. We appreciate that. We'll chop up some powerful clips of Melissa here and you can share those as well with your pro-choice friends. Um, we're going to be on the streets uh, this week in Washington, D.C., so we'll be sharing lots more updates with you. But thank you guys for tuning in today. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Uh -huh.